Well, it's Christmas Eve, all right, it's here. Um, it, it seems like it goes by faster every, you know, every year, each and every year. Uh, how many of you guys um, are like me and my family that uh, we have like, just, you just kind of got some weird Christmas traditions? You guys got, okay, yeah, a few of you. The rest of you don't do anything, you guys are boring people, is that what's going on? Okay. Um, you know, like some of you ladies, you've been, uh, all the last month and a half, you've been working your way through those Hallmark movies, you know what I'm talking about, with your coffee on your couch, with your blanket, you know, that type of thing, all right? So uh, for me, I'm a 90s kid, okay? So, you know, every year I got to watch Home Alone, I have to, and, uh, and I got to watch Elf and, and movies like that, that's like, it's like tradition. Uh, one thing that we do in our family, um, well, actually, let me say this, this is Kate's side of the family. It doesn't make much sense to me, but this is what we do. Um, her parents, her, her family lives in Chicago, and, uh, and every around, year around Christmas time, uh, we go up to, we travel an hour away from her parents' house, an hour away, to go to this little ice cream place. So, and it's, it's called the Dairy Mart, okay? Super creative place, a super creative name. And, uh, and it's, it's the same as like, yeah, here in Tiffin, you guys got like 50 of them, Uncle Mike's, the Dipper, Big Dipper, Little Dipper, whatever that is, Hugo's, you know, the Shake Shack, the Silver Spoon, okay, I saw that one open this summer, you know, you, got, you guys got, you know, it's just, just your average ice cream place, and there's nothing really special about it, but what we do in, in December is uh, they have this place, or they have this day, it's called Customer Appreciation Day, okay, and it's the last day that they're open, and now all their food is, is half price. See, they say Customer Appreciation Day, but really, they're just trying to unload all their food until they run out. So it's kind of a gamble because you go up there and you know it's going to be cheap, but you go up there, you also don't know how, what, what they're going to have left. You know what I mean? Because it's all like first come, first serve. So there's a good chance you're going to go up to the window and they're going to be like, yeah, we, all we have left is, is onion rings. And so you're like, well, order 40 onion rings. Or, you know, we all got to eat. That's, that's kind of how it is. Uh, just kind of a weird thing. It's tradition. It's what we do at Christmas for some, for some reason. This is what we do. Um, but uh, but if, you're, you know, if you're like me, in our family, we just have these like little things that we do. It's that we have to do because this is what we do at, at Christmas time. But for many of us, Christmas is tied a lot more to nostalgia and traditions than it is a historical or spiritual reality for us. And it's easy for Christmas to become kind of a, a cultural norm in our life. This is just what we do, a routine and not spiritual reality. But think about this, right? If if Jesus, who's co-equal with the Father, he's all-powerful, he could do wherever, he could do whatever he wants, he could go wherever he wants. If he was born here on earth to a teenage girl 2,000 years ago, and then he walked around on it, and he had a few things to say. Actually, the message that he said, if you want to boil it down to like the foundation of his message, this is something you don't hear a lot, you don't hear in churches a lot. It, it, it was this. His message, the main message was, we are not good people, all right? Kind of a downer for Christmas, downer for Christmas Eve. All right, like if that's true, okay, whether you believe in it or not, if it's true, then everything in our life should change, especially our confidence that we have in ourselves. okay? Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Every single one of us, I believe, we struggle with having too much confidence in ourselves. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about uh, confidence in our abilities or confidence in our, you know, our ability to make friends or people liking us or intelligence or anything like that. What we struggle with, every single person in this room, we struggle with having too much confidence in our goodness. And that's the confidence that Jesus was born to wreck. Have you ever had your confidence wrecked here and there once in a while? 
Okay, three. All right, good for you guys. All right, it happens once in a while. You know what I'm talking about. Um, what, one thing that Kate and I have done every other year, I believe, since we've, um, since we've been married, is we, take, we, we drive to Colorado uh, to visit my family. I got, um, you know, I got a grandma out there, and I got aunts and uncles and a cousin out there. And so uh, it's, it's a long drive. And so what we do is we actually uh, drive to uh, Chicago, where her parents live. And we drive from Chicago to Pueblo, Colorado in one long, horrible, terrible, awful, worst ever day. Okay? And it's not like something where you wake up in the morning, you're like, man, this could be a fun trip. No, we're like, let's get this over with, you know? So that's how it is every single time. We actually just got back from doing this a couple weeks ago, so it's fresh in my memory. And, um, and throughout the years, we've had some hiccups along the way. Some years have been, uh, a couple years have been okay, a couple years have been not okay. Uh, Sunday I was just talking about, um, one time we went and we went off the road and had to fly. It is just, didn't have updated licenses or expired licenses. It was just a big disaster in Nebraska. But two years ago, we, we were doing this trip, and so we get up early in the morning, we get up at 4 a.m. Chicago time, we leave by 5 a.m., we start heading west on Interstate 80, and uh, we're, we're making pretty good time. And I'm confident that me as a man, all right, husband, father, all right, I could get my family from point A to point B, all right, with no hiccups, I'm good. There's been some hiccups in the past, but I'm good. And I'm in my minivan, which is embarrassing because I never thought I'd be the man I'm a man with a van, and I'm not proud of it. But uh, so we jump in the minivan. We're, we're heading west, and uh, we're we're in the middle of Nebraska somewhere. And Nebraska is a barren wasteland. There's nothing there. All right, there's hardly any exits. There's just just nothing. People talk about overpopulation of the earth. It ain't happening in Nebraska. Okay, so people need to go look at that before they start talking about that. But. Uh, but so we're in the middle of Nebraska. There's nothing around. And, but we're making pretty good time. And so I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm confident in myself that we're going to get there tonight. And we might get there a little bit early. Like this is, this is all good. We're in our minivan. And then bam, I hit a deer. Okay. So all like, oh, stupid deer. Just walked right out. Didn't even look. You know, you'd think there's one car on the road. You could avoid it. But not this one. It, was, it wanted to die. And, uh, and so we hit this deer, I pull over, and I'm like, you know, I'm the, I'm the man, so Kate, you just, just wait in the car, I'm going to check this thing out, walk around, and there's like blood everywhere, and hair, and the headlights gone, and the bumper's on the ground, and the hood's all smashed up, and the fender's all smashed up, it's just, it's just a disaster, and so I have, to, you know, I have to call the state police so that they could come and do a report so I could turn it into my insurance, you know, all that kind of stuff they have to do. It takes like an hour for the state police to get there. They, she does her thing, she does a report, and she comes up to me after she's done, been there for like probably an hour and a half at this point, and she's like, it's killing my time, by the way. Super annoying. And uh, she's like, hey, just so you know, there's nothing around here. There's no towing company. There's no restaurant. There's no hotel. So she's like, what you need to do is you need to, you need to try to drag your van, like limp your van to the next exit, which is about four or five miles away. And there is a tiny gas station there, she said. And you need to button everything up so that you can get out of here. Okay? This is what she said. This is a lady who's, well, this is like her home. I would think. And so I'm like, okay, let's do that. So we, dra I drag all this stuff, you know, it was all under the van. We drag it to the, to the gas station. I start buttoning everything up. I realized when I got there that I didn't have any tools. Strike two on my manhood card. I'm a man driving a minivan and I have no tools with me, unprepared. And so I have to go buy tools at the gas station. I get some, some zip ties, some rope, and some duct tape, okay? That's all, that's all you need. 
And I started tying this thing up and duct taping things, and I'm cutting holes in my, in my bumper so I could get rope through, so I could tie it up, you know. And, I, and I'm looking at it at the gas station, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, there's no way this is going to make it like eight more hours, you know. I have no confidence in what I've done, and I have no confidence that we're going to get there. And so we get back on the road, and we all get, you know, we all get back in the car, and we start heading west and, uh, and we actually got there late, 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 late that night, actually early, early, early the next day in, in the morning. Um, but uh, but it's, it's one of those times where you're like, I have confidence in myself. I think I'm pretty good. I, I got this. You know, I'm a man. I'm two years older than last year, when we, last time that we had, you know, we had a bunch of issues. And then, and then, bam, something happens. Confidence, gone. See, we spend our life so confident in ourselves. And, and, and the problem is, is when we're confident in our goodness. But Jesus was born 2,000 years ago to wreck our confidence that we put on ourselves and to wreck our confidence that we put on our goodness. And because of that, Christmas is so much deeper than nostalgia or traditions. And it just is. See, 2,000 years ago, a Greek doctor named Luke, he understood this, and um, he went searching for answers, okay? He, he uh, investigated the claims. He wanted to figure out what this whole Jesus guy was about, and he wrote down what he discovered, and now what, what we have, that the document is what we call the Book of Luke in the New Testament. And at the beginning of the Book of Luke, what, what Luke says, he says, hey, many, many, many people have gone out looking for this stuff, okay? Many people have investigated the claims of Jesus. They've looked into these claims about Jesus, and he says, so I heard that, and I thought, that was a pretty good idea. So me too. I went too and investigated the claims as well. And I wrote all this down in this book. And I'm telling you that this is what happened. And Luke is a little bit different than the rest of the, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. Um, and in that Luke is so detailed in his account. Okay, so detailed in his document. And basically, it's almost like as if Luke's saying, hey, fact check me, I dare you. All right? I know what I'm writing. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. I talked to the people who were there. This is what happened. And Luke begins his account of Jesus' life with the Christmas story. But it's interesting because he doesn't begin with Bethlehem or angels or, you know, a star and shepherds and Mary and Joseph and, you know, baby Jesus. He doesn't start with that. He actually starts by telling us about someone who no one had really ever heard of and uh, no one would have ever have heard of him unless Luke hadn't mentioned him. And it's this old Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now, let me give you some background on kind of what was going on in the nation of Israel at the time Jesus was born. Uh, the Jewish people have been promised a Messiah, okay? Messiah, that just means Savior, okay? So the Jewish people have been promised a Savior, and they've been waiting for the Savior hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Tech actually, it had been around 400 years since they had last had, like, direct contact from God in the sense, since God had directly spoken to them through his prophets. It's been 400 years since the last, um, since the last Old Testament letter or book was, was written. And so um, I'm sure a lot of these Jews are going, what, you know, what, what's going on? Like, did God forget about us? Was, you know, is, is, is he still there? Like, did he go on to somebody else? Did he send the Savior? We just, we just missed him? Or, you know, really, what's going on? And the Old Testament teaches us that the Jews were waiting for it, actually not one, but two people, in a sense. Okay, one really mattered, but two people. Because God had promised the Jewish people, he says, first, I'm going to send you a prophet, and this prophet's going to get the nation of Israel all ready for the Savior, for the Messiah, for the one that matters. 
Right, so they're waiting for these two people, and they've been waiting for a long time, and, and it's been 400 years since they had last heard anything or last heard any, any news from God, and they, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and they worshiped in the temple. Well, every year, the priests um, would leave home, priests like Zechariah, they would leave home, and they wor- would work at the temple for two one-week periods, and uh, it took around 18,000 priests in the nation of Israel throughout the year to run the temple. And each day what the priest would do is he, they would um, pick one. A priest would go into the Holy of Holies within the temple and they would burn incense to God. And the way that they chose which priest would be able to do this is they were chosen by lots. They're kind of what we would, um, in today's day and age, we would say like, like uh, they draw straws. Okay, so that's how they, they did it. And if they were selected, if they drew the short straw or long straw, I don't know how that works, but if they, if they were chosen to go in... Um, that means that uh, they would view it as, hey, God chose you. Right? God specifically chose you to go in and to do this thing. And so this was a big deal because it's like out of 18,000 priests, God, fi- God actually chose you. And so Luke writes down for us and he records that, hey, one day Zechariah gets chosen to be the priest that goes into the Holy Holies and to offer this incense to God. And it's the best day of his life. I mean, it's the best day of his life personally. It's the best day of his life professionally. And this is like a big deal. Not only is it a big deal, like a huge honor, but it's also a big deal because it had to be done the exact right way. It had to be taken extremely seriously because they're in the holy presence of God. Right? And, and what the Jewish people believed, and what I'm assuming happens sometimes, is that God, if, it, if a priest went in there and did it kind of half-heartedly or didn't do it with the right heart or didn't take um, this job seriously, God would strike him down right there. And so because of that, what they did with Zechariah when he was selected is they actually tied a rope around his ankle and sent him in. Because if something happened, like if God struck him down or if, you know, if something happened to him in there, there's no chance not one of them were going in there to go get him. So they were able to pull him out. All right, so they, they tie this rope to him. Zechariah goes into the temple, into the Holy Holies. He begins doing his thing. And all of a sudden, and he's probably a little bit nervous, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up to him. And the main angel says, hey, hey, Zechariah, guess what? I got good news. You know the Savior that you have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, like your ancestors told you about, your ancestors have been waiting for? He's like, guess what? He's coming. All right, and you, Zechariah, you're old, and, and, and you and your wife, uh, you guys haven't been able to have children yet, but, uh, but guess what? You are going to have a child. You're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the prophet that's going to come before the Savior, and, and this is, and is going to be a great thing, and this is joy, you know, joy to, to all people, and uh, that, that son is going to proclaim and get the nation of Israel ready for the Savior, and this is how Zechariah responds. Right? He says, how can I know this? He talks to the angel. He says, Zechariah asked the angel. He says, for I am old, I'm an old man and my wife is, and I think he catches himself here. He says, and my wife is well along in years. Right? He's like, Zechariah's like, this is impossible. I don't think, you know, you understand how this all works, but, uh, but I am too old. Like, we can't have children anymore. We're well past that. We're many, many, many years past that. And so Zechariah, what he does is he doubts Really, not just what the angel is saying, is he's doubting what God can do. And so check out what the angel says. It says the angel, he answered him, he says, are you kidding me? He's like, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Right? He's like, he's like I don't think you understand this. Like, think about this, Zechariah. You're a priest, 
right? You're standing in the most holy place on earth. It's so holy that priests die, right? If, it's, if they don't take it seriously, what they're doing seriously. And he's like, and I'm an angel who just appeared to you and now I'm talking to you and I'm telling you this is gonna happen and you're doubting me? Like you're doubting God? It's kind of funny because Gabriel says, well, because you do this, I'm gonna make it so that you're not gonna be able to talk until that baby comes because you didn't believe me. And so in the meantime, they're having this conversation there. In the meantime, all the people outside, like, they're getting a little worried, right? Like, shoot, Zachariah's been in there for a long time. Like, this is abnormal. This is odd. This isn't, you know, something, something's going on. Like, you know, I'm sure they're going, should we start yanking on that rope? Or, you know, has God strike him down? Or what's, what's going on here? And uh, it says this in Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Luke tells us, he says, but when he did come out, Zechariah, he could not speak to them, just like the angel has said. He says, then they realized that he had seen a vision and in the sanctuary, and he was making signs to them, and he remained speechless. So he's like trying to describe to them what has happened, and he can't talk, so he's making signs to them, which is kind of funny to me. And it says, and when the days of his ministry were completed, he then went back home. But when he goes home, you know, he can't stop thinking about this. Like the angel you know, like an angel promised him he was going to have a son, and, and they're super old, and his wife's super old. His wife's name is Elizabeth, and he's like, I don't understand how this is possible. And then, you know, one day he gives Elizabeth that look, right? And she looks back, and she's like, seriously? Right? Like, I am well along in years. And, and sure enough, not long after that, she is pregnant. And Luke records this for us, and Luke's saying, hey, 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 this is the first part of the Christmas story. Like this is what happened. And I'm telling you this, really, Luke's saying, I'm telling you this because it happened. But then Luke finds out that Zechariah isn't the only person that the angel visits. Right? He also visited a young teenage girl who happened to be a relative of Zechariah and Elizabeth in this little town called Nazareth. And this is what happens. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, he was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. It says, he was sent to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Well, when the angel shows up to, to Mary, he says, hey, guess what? You know that Messiah, that Savior that you guys have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? You know him? You know, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the one that God has promised him. He's like, yeah, guess what? He's coming, and God is going to use you, Mary. You are going to give birth to that child. You are going to give birth to the Savior. Well, well, Mary, she kind of has a similar response to Zechariah. And Mary's just like, yeah, I don't know if you understand exactly how this all works. But, but she's like, I'm engaged, right? But, but I'm not quite married yet. And so she has this logical question. She's like, I, I don't understand how this is impossible. Like what you're saying is impossible because I haven't yet been with a man. And this is what the, the angel says. says. The angel replied to her. He says, the Holy Spirit, he's going to do it. He will come upon you in the power of the Most High. He will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He's like, he's not going to be the son of Joseph. He's not going to be the son of any other guy. He's going to be the son of God. He says, and consider your relative Elizabeth. He's like, you know Elizabeth, right? She's like, oh, yeah, right? She's like, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless, someone who, who is impossible for, had a, for her to have children, someone who had never had a child before. He's like, he's like, it's not impossible. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
And then Luke tells us that Elizabeth does give birth to a son. She names him, she names him John. And then you know the story of, of, of Mary, and Mary also gives birth to a son, and she names him Jesus, and, and that's where she, she lays him in a manger, and she, you know, shepherds come and worship him, and, and, you know, you got angels, you got, you know, all this stuff, and everything's good, at least for a while. Now, fast forward 30 years. You got Zechariah and Elizabeth's uh, son named, named John. Actually, he's got a nickname now. They call him John the Baptist. And he's out there and he's telling everybody, he's like, hey, guess what? The Messiah's here. Like, he is, he's coming. Like, you, got, you, know, you guys need to get right with God because this is real. This is happening in our generation. It's happening in our lifetime. It's happening now. And then Jesus enters the scene, the one that everyone has been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Luke tells us that he, Jesus spends roughly three years going from town to town town to town, to village to village to village, telling people how they need to get right with God. He's teaching people. He's healing people. He's saying things that people have never heard before. He's doing things that people uh, have never seen before. He's doing things that people would say were impossible. And at the end of those three years, he starts his long walk back to Jerusalem, to the temple. Actually, it's interesting. That's where it all started, right? With Zechariah. 33-ish years before. And so he starts his long walk back. And he knows he's going to be killed. And he knows he's going to die there. And he's not like me. Like when I'm going to, you know, when I'm driving to Colorado or whatever, you know, where I'm like, got to go, got to go, got to go. No, that's not what's going on here. This, Jesus, he, he takes his time. He's stopping from town to town to town. He's stopping from village to village to village. And he's teaching people and he's talking to people. And at one point he stops at a village where he tells a story about a religious guy and a tax collector praying in the temple. We actually talked about that a couple Sundays ago. And what he was doing within this story is he was wrecking people's view of religion. And basically his whole point is he's saying, hey, 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 it's not about religion. Everybody thinks it's about religion. Everybody thinks it's about all these rules. You got to follow these certain amount of rules to get to heaven, or you got to do, it's all about the do's and don'ts of how you get to heaven. He's like, it's not about that. And right after he tells this story, and he's probably, he's probably offended a whole bunch of people in the crowd around him, Luke records for us that someone in the crowd speaks up. And this is what this guy says. He says, a ruler asked him, he says, hey, 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 good teacher. All right, he starts off good. He's like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit, to inherit eternal life? Basically what he's like, he's like, hey, you know, like that's, that's the main question, right? That's, that's, that's a good question. That's a question we should all answer, ask uh, every once in a while or, or at, least, um, at least one point in our life. Like what, he's asking, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Like, what do I got to do? Like, you know, what rules I got to follow? What religion, you know, what do I have to do to get there? How's this, how's this all work? And Jesus answers this way in verse 19. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. He kind of throws him a curveball. He's like, well, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. He says, no one is good except for God alone. See, Jesus, he, he kind of he corrects his view real quick. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, he's like, hey, just before we get in this conversation, I want you to remember that only God is good. All right, what Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying, hey, I'm not good. Only God is good. You shouldn't be calling me good. No, no, no. He, I mean, Jesus is God. What he's doing is he is challenging this man's view of good, knowing that this man thinks that he's pretty good. Like almost all of us here in this room, like we do all the time. See, I think, 
the biggest obstacle to starting a relationship with Jesus is that we have this problem of having too much confidence in our goodness. And it's interesting because, because throughout Jesus' ministry, he's constantly telling us, he's constantly reminding us, he's saying, hey, you are not good. He's constantly telling us that we are not good. And Jesus is about to show this guy, that this guy who's so confident in himself and so confident in his goodness. And this is what Jesus says. He says, okay, you want to know how to get to heaven? Let's do this. He says, you know the commandments, right? Like if you're a good Jewish guy, you, you, they would have these memorized. A lot of you guys probably have these, these Ten Commandments memorized. Something that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Been around for 2,000 years when Jesus was saying this. So it's been around for a long time. And he says, hey, you know the commandments, right? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or don't lie or honor your father or mother. He starts listing out these things. And probably as Jesus is listing out these things, I mean, the guy's like, oh, okay, check. Got that. Oh, never murdered anybody. Check. Okay. And I don't steal from people. Check. Don't, you know, I don't lie to people. I try not to, you know, a little white lie once in a while. But, you know, I check. And then honor your father and mother. I'm pretty good with that. I've usually been pretty good. Check. And so he's checking off all these things like, oh, Jesus is listening to these things. He's like, check, 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 check. Hey, I'm pretty good. And maybe even you here, you're sitting here, you know, this afternoon, evening, or, you know, whatever time it is. It's a weird time, 5 o'clock. And, uh, and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, this is, I've done all those things. I follow these. I'm, I'm pretty good. And so the guy, as Jesus is mentioning these and listening these out, the guy kind of interjects and he says this. He says, whoa, it's funny, Jesus. It's funny that you mentioned these. Um, I'm not trying to brag, but I've kept all of these since I was a kid. He's like, I've, I've, I've actually all, I've done all that. See, it's so interesting here that it's like literally three seconds after Jesus says, hey, before we get in this discussion, I, want you, I just want to remind you that only God is good. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm cool with that. That's, I, I like that. I totally agree. He's like, yeah, only God is good. Oh, and then three seconds later, he's like, oh, and me too. I'm good too. He's got his confidence back. Isn't it interesting? I was just thinking about this. It's so weird how we're so confident in ourselves in, in different things that uh, it doesn't take long, you know, when, when we lose confidence in ourselves to kind of gain that back. See, on our drive to Colorado, we had a little trouble getting out there. We're late, but, but we got out there. You know, I'm like, I, I, I took care of it. We, we got there. I got my confidence back. And I didn't really think about it, but we had to drive back to Ohio. And, uh, and we're driving in a totaled van. Um, and uh, one thing I didn't realize, because I'd never really been in a wreck before, is when the airbag goes off, which is annoying to be driving with this giant airbag sitting in your lap, uh, <laughs> which I did. Um, but when the airbag goes off, your seatbelts lock. Did you know that? Anybody? Maybe, I don't know if that's a well-known thing. Your seatbelts lock, and they don't unlock, okay? You literally have to replace the seatbelts. And so they tighten, and they lock. So, like, the whole drive home, I can barely feel my legs because it's like, no circulation. It's so tight. Um, you know, safety. I almost died from that. You know, stupid. But uh, so we're driving home, and this time, literally, as we were driving from Colorado, we're only going back to, to, to Chicago. So 17-hour long, horrible, terrible day. We're ready for it. This is like my record, okay? No lie. We were, it was the fastest, and I'm not saying I was speeding, 
okay? I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying we were doing really good, okay? Um, but we're going, and I'm, I'm like on the verge of record-breaking my fastest time, so I'm excited about it. And so we're like, we're going through, we're getting there, and uh, everything's good until we hit the border of, of Illinois and Iowa. So we're going, we've already been through Iowa. We're going into Illinois. We're only about 145 miles from Kate's parents' house. So I'm getting all giddy, you know, like we're almost there, breaking the time, you know, breaking the record. This is going to be great. I'm pretty confident in myself, I'll, I'll admit. Even though all that stuff happened on the way out, that's past, right? This is now. We're good to go. And so we're driving. Well, um, as soon as we get into Illinois, we're two and a half hours away. And uh, this, like, it just starts snowing. And it's like heavy snow. Okay, and it comes, and it comes fast. And so there's this giant snowstorm, and, and we're driving through. Now, there's only um, one lane that's like semi-passable on the interstate, and everybody's getting off. And, but I'm like, no, we're powering through. I'm confident in what, in what we can do. And even Kate, she's looking at me, and she's like, she's like, we need to, we should get a hotel. I'm like, we're two hours away. There's no way we're getting a hotel. Let's go. You know, I got this, Kate. You know, that's why I'm telling her, we're good. I'm have some confidence in me. I have confidence in myself. She has no confidence in myself. And, uh, and, and we actually had to slow down to like 10 miles per hour. So we're going 10 miles per hour. We're going super slow. People are going off all over the place. On this night when we're driving, the last 145 miles, we counted over 140 um, cars and trucks that were off the road. And these are like people are still in them, okay, because this is happening like now. And uh, we counted 47 semi-trucks and a camper, Okay? And the camper guy, he deserved to go off because he shouldn't have been out there to begin with, is what I'm thinking. But, uh, but every, everybody's going off the road, and you, and you watch it happen. We, we saw it happen a whole bunch. And, uh, and Kate's like, Zach, we need, to, we need to turn off. I'm like, we're going 10 miles per hour. She's like, it's dangerous. And, and I'm like, she's like, we got kids. I'm like, 10 miles per hour, if we go off the road, it's going to be like, oh, you know, that's it. It's not like... We're already driving a, a totaled van. What are we worried about? Let's go, you know? And so, we, uh, so we're driving, and, um, and it, it's kind of funny. When, when you're on the road, and there's nobody else on the road, and once in a while, you'll, you'll meet, like, another car, and, uh, and you kind of, like, get in a little pack, right? You're in a little line, and, and you, it's almost like you develop relationships with these people because it's like white car in front of me. We've been in front. We've been together for like an hour, you know, and here we go. We're, we're bracing the elements. We're getting through this storm. And then blue van, blue van's behind me, and we've been, you know, us three, we're going we're gonna to make it. And then sure enough, this happened, a whole, this happened several times. White car, fishtails, you know, and you're just like, see ya, sorry. You know, you can't stop because you won't be able to get going again. You know, good luck. <laughs> and, then, and then you look in the rearview mirror, you're like, oh, shoot, when Blue Van, you know, Blue Van's gone. We're all alone again, you know. And then we'll get with somebody else. And um, at, at, everything was good. Or no, It wasn't good. It was horrible. This was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, but everything, you know, we're, we're still making time. And I didn't put the, uh, the math together. 145 miles going 70 miles an hour. It's like two and a half hours. That's what I'm basing everything off. Going 10 miles an hour, that spreads out to 14 hours. I didn't do that math. So we're going, and at 3 a.m., I crack. I break. I'll be honest with you. I was like, this is stupid. What the heck? Why is all this snow? You know, and part of me is like, God, come on. You couldn't wait until we left. You know, like, let's, let's go. And we get off in an exit, and we go to a, to a hotel and it's like a holiday inn or something, your, your average thing. And there's so much snow. There's like a foot of snow. We're going through the parking lot until we get stuck. I get as close to the door as I can. We're stuck. 
So I get out and I go to the hotel. I'm like, I just need to rent a room. I'm not, I'm leaving the car there. It's in the middle of the parking lot. I don't care anymore. And I go in there and I should, I knew something was up as soon as I entered the hotel because, you know, the, the sliding doors are stuck open and there's this giant drift of snow that goes into the hotel. Okay. It's like a pile of, it's, it's like alpha war, it's like a war zone in there. And I walk in, and there's people everywhere. There's people sleeping on the couches in the lobby. There's people sleeping on every chair. There's people sleeping on the ground. There's dogs walking around. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just weird. Everybody's like, you know, doing, it's like everybody's in survival mode. And I go kind of to the desk, and it's 3 a.m. Like, there's nobody going to be there. And a guy comes up to me, and he's like acting all nice. He's like, oh, you're looking for a room. And I'm like, yeah, I need a room. Like, and I need it now. You know, I'm done with this. And he was like, don't you think that we would all have rooms if they had rooms available? And they're like, like, what a jerk, I'm out of here, you know. So I grabbed, I went looking for a shovel because I knew I was stuck. I found a shovel at the hotel. I took it out there. I started digging myself out. I got a bad attitude. And I'm losing, like, my confidence, gone, all right? I'm like, we're going to be out here forever. This stinks. I'm on my hands and knees. I'm digging stuff out and trying to get things going. It takes me an hour to get the van from the parking lot to where it was stuck to the road. It's constantly digging and constantly, you know, going back and forth, rocking forward, you know, it's that type of thing. And when I get to the road, what has happened is a plow truck has gone by. And so there's this wall of, like, giant wall of snow, like a four-foot wall of snow in between me and the road. So I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, I got the shovel that I stole from the hotel. (laughs) You know, I'm going to throw it back in their parking lot when I'm ready to go, but (laughs) whatever. I was in a bad mood. And, uh, and I'm like, I should just dig, you know, I dig me a hole through this wall, or I could just ram it. So I rammed it, and I didn't make it through. And so I got half my vans out in the road, half the vans in the parking lot. I'm stuck on this giant wall of snow, so I had to walk across the street. I went to, the, to a gas station. I looked for the most redneck guy I could possibly find. I pinpoint him. I go to him, and I am say, hey, some loser guy left his minivan, you know, out in the middle of the road over there. Can you help him out? And, and he goes over there. They, it, one thing that was kind of nice is because I hit the deer, we didn't have a grill, and, it, you know, and we're buried in snow, and uh, couldn't find anything to tie to, so we just tied it to, like, the engine, okay, with a, with a chain. It just chained the engine and pulled it out, and then we got back on the interstate, and we had, like, 10 more hours, and we finally, we finally got there. But uh, it's just so interesting to me, and this it, this is just an example, is that we, uh, you know, seems like sometimes maybe God puts us in our place when it comes to our confidence in ourselves. But it doesn't take long for us to just like completely forget it. And we're like back in the same old spot where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. All right, I got this. Don't worry about it. All right, that's where this guy is. This guy, Jesus, has already corrected his, con- his confidence. He's, he's already said, hey, just before this conversation, remember, only God's good, not you. Only, only God's good. Now this guy's saying, oh, yeah, God is good, and me. And so Jesus answers, he says this. He says, when Jesus heard this, he told him, he says, oh, okay, and I think Jesus maybe cracked a smile here. He, the guy's just missing it. He's so far off. He says, but you still lack one thing. Why don't you do this? Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, then you can come follow me. It'd be great. He says, after the guy heard this, the rich man, or the ruler, he says, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Now, what Jesus is not doing is he's not saying, hey, everyone in this room, all right, you need to, you need to give all your stuff away. You need to go home and you need to give all your stuff away. And some of you guys right now, you're just like, 
Okay, good. I was, you know, I was worried about that. Right? Jesus is saying this. He's using this problem in this specific man's life. And let's be honest. This guy's probably a lot like most of us in this room. And he's saying, hey, you, no, no, no. You think you're so good. And you think you've kept all these rules and all these commandments, but you haven't even kept the main commandment, which is the number one commandment. Do not have any other gods before me. He's like, your issue is God's not number one in your life. And for you specifically, and probably for a lot of us in this room, he's like, he's like, money is more important to you. And he's pointing that out in this life. So here's this guy. He says, hey, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, be good. And the guy says, I am good. And Jesus says, no, you aren't. Only I'm good. And Jesus is pointing out this guy's issue. And when this guy gets it, the guy is sad, noticeably sad, because he doesn't want to give that up. See, verse 24, Jesus says, Seeing that he had become sad. So the guy, you can read it all over his face. Jesus said, man, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He says, it's easier for a camel, like big, giant old camel. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a tiny, tiny needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here, he's not, it's not picking on the rich or necessarily, he's just using this guy, this rich guy, as an example. Right? He's saying it's impossible for this rich guy, it's impossible for any of us to save ourselves. We can't do it. We can't enter the kingdom of God on our own. It's impossible for us. Why? Because we are not good enough. None of us are. We are not good enough. And the crowd, they get what Jesus is saying because they're standing around. They're like, whoa, question. They ask Jesus this. They say, well, well, then who can be saved? Like, if it's impossible, then, you know, what's the deal? Like, what are we supposed to do? Jesus answered them. He says, he replied, see, what is impossible with man? He says, is possible with God. See, it's so crazy. He's saying the same thing that the angel showed Zechariah. He's saying the same thing that the angel told Mary. Right? He's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. The point is you can't do it. The point is you're not good enough to do it, but God can do it. And ironically, Jesus was on his way to take care of it at that moment. See, after this conversation, Jesus, he continues his trip back to Jerusalem. Luke records for us that when he was in Jerusalem, he got arrested. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was spit upon. He was uh, flogged, which is being beaten almost to death. And then he was nailed to a wooden beam and lifted into the air, and he hung there until he died. And Luke's saying, hey, he did that for you, and he did that for me. And he's like, I'm writing this down. Like, I'm, I'm investigating. I'm telling you this. Because it happened, not because I'm interested in history or interested in this. He's like, I'm telling you this because it happened. See, our Savior, our Messiah, he came just as God has promised. And he came when, when everyone least expected it. And he sends this angel to Zechariah and says, hey, guess what? It's time. And he sends an angel to Mary and says, hey, guess what? I'm doing this. And then Jesus was born. And then he grew up and he spent three years telling people to start a relationship with God. He spent three years wrecking their religion. He spent three years wrecking their view of their confidence that they had in their own goodness. And then Jesus died so that we don't have to pay for not being good enough. Because nobody is. See, we need to lose 
our confidence that we have in our goodness. And so my question for you this evening is this. Has God wrecked your confidence? Has God wrecked your confidence in your goodness yet? Right? Have you started that relationship with him? Have you done that? See, too many of us, we just go throughout life, and it's like we just put it off. It's like, well, you know, I'll deal with that when I'm older, or, or I'll deal with that some other time, or I'll deal with it when I, when I know more, or I got more information, or I learn more, and I, I look into it, I investigate it a little bit more. But the thing we forget about is we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And so keeping putting it off till the next day, the next day, it, it doesn't make really any sense. And God's saying, hey, the same question that we should be asking like this guy asked, he's saying, hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven? God's saying, hey, all you have to do is really rather simple, is you got to understand that you're a sinner, meaning you got to understand that you are not good enough. And because of that, you need saving. And Jesus came, and he was born on that first Christmas, he lived a perfect life, and he died. And when he did that, he paid what we all owed. Well, why do you have to do that? Well, because we, a lot of times, like to ignore, ignore the fact that God is 100% just, right? He's perfectly just, which is a huge problem for you and me because we're not good. But God came, and he was born as a man, Jesus. He lived a perfect life, and he died. And when he died on that cross, the Bible tells us that he poured out his wrath. He punished himself as the perfect sacrifice instead of us. And now he wants a relationship with us. And that's the question that, that really all of us need to answer. And we're not born with a relationship with God. That's not how it works. The Bible tells us, no, we have to make a conscious, real decision at some point in our life. And so, and so I'm, I'm asking you, if you haven't done that yet in the past, if you haven't done that yet today, man, you could do that like today. Like, you could do that this afternoon, and all you have to do is you just got to ask, right? You got to understand that you're not good. You got to understand that you're a sinner, that you need saving, that God came and he paid what you owed because he's a perfect judge, and, and now he, you just got to ask him to be in your life, and I would encourage you to do that right now in your seat. It's not a conversation between you and anybody else. It's just between you and God. God can read your every thought. It's not something that has to be out loud. I don't encourage you, don't listen to another word I have to say. You take care of your relationship with God. You, take, you get yourself right with God tonight. But for the rest of us, see, Christmas is so much more than nostalgia and traditions, okay? It's so easy for us to get mixed up on that. It's a huge spiritual reality. And Luke discovered for us that he's discovered this story that proves God's love for not good people like you and me. And so we as Christians, what we need to do is we need to remember that, especially as we go through this Christmas season, that, that it wasn't the joy, you know, the joy that the angels and Mary and, and Joseph, every, the shepherds, the joy that they had wasn't because some baby was born. It's because of what that baby was going to do and who that baby was. And we need to remember that, especially during Christmas season like this year. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us. You don't have to. You don't owe us anything. But for some, for some reason, you do. God, we thank you for being born that 2,000 years ago in that barn 
surrounded by animals, not the way a king, especially the king of kings, especially God of the universe. It's not the way anybody would expect. But you came humbly. God, we thank you for that. And we ask that if there's anybody in this room who hasn't made that decision to follow you, to start that relationship with you, Lord, we ask that they would do that tonight, that they wouldn't leave their seat, that they wouldn't leave this room until getting right with you and asking you to be a part of their life. Most important decision anybody could ever make in their entire life. God, we thank you for loving us so much and for proving that to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.